Well, good morning, everybody. Glad you are here today. Uh, a lot of you, well, I don't know how many of you, some of you have come from great distances to be here. Like we have New York and Colorado represent. I don't know if that's because you heard Don was leading worship or with Don or with Brian on vacation, but whatever brought you here, I'm glad you're here. So uh, if, if you are here, welcome. There's a, in your folder, worship folder, there's a connect card. You can fill that out at some point, drop it in the offering. It's a great way for us to communicate with each other. So this is concluding our series to start here today. Next week, we are getting into the biblical book of Revelation. Some of you call it Revelations. It's Revelation. And we're going to start studying it. It's a, it's a book that's very misunderstood, so I'm excited to teach it. It's one where people have said, like, everybody in the church wants to study it because they don't understand it, and preachers don't want to preach it because they don't understand it. So it's one of those things where we're going to get into it, and we're going to try to understand what God has to say to us through Revelation. If you are a life group leader, we have leadership materials available at the Connect table. You can pick that up on your way out if your group's meeting this summer and you want to start studying through Revelation. And uh, if you are looking for a life group to be part of, that's the same place you go. Go to the Connect table, and they'll help you find a place to get plugged in. Well, let's get started here. What I have found in my own personal experience is that people will pay a lot of money and they will endure many indignities in the name of change. And I read a, an article in the Wall Street Journal last fall that talked about this. There is a spate of new gadgets out there that people are paying money for, gadgets and smartphone apps, to help them change. And the article said this, people are, are be, buying these gadgets that will remind, cajole, pressure, threaten, judge, and even nag us about what we're supposed to do. These apps and these gadgets will also suggest punishments to you if you don't do what you bought the gadget to remind you to do. Isn't that crazy? For instance, we got a picture of this. There's a, something you can buy now called the Happy Fork. Who knew that you could improve on the fork, but you can. This will actually monitor how fast you are eating and how long you are chewing, and it will send you a jolt if you're not chewing enough times and you're eating too fast. You pay money for this, right? How about this one? You can spend $50 for a toothbrush that is linked up to your smartphone, and it will also keep track of how long you brush and how often you brush. So if you don't brush enough, it will actually send you a reminder like, hey, you haven't brushed your teeth in a while. What's up with that? It will send you a list of like rewards and punishments and suggestions based on how well you're doing brushing your teeth. That's just so everybody needs that, right? There is a new software out there that pairs up with a webcam that watches you, and it makes a noise and reminds you to sit up straight when you start slouching. I know it's like, <coughs> oh, oh, yeah, I got to stand up straight. <laughs> everybody needs that, right? And we pay money for this. One user said this. He said, the, digi the digital nagging can kind of ruin your life. Really? Who would have thought? And I'm still shocked that people are paying money for things like this. Maybe you've done this, so I'm not judging you, but isn't there an app out there already that does a great job? It's called Mom. Mom, <laughs> right? Some of you beat me to it. Aren't you glad this is not how God chooses to change us? Constant nagging. He sends us punishments that we should inflict on ourselves. We've been in this series called Start Here, and we've been looking at the idea of changing and transforming and becoming better people. And we started the series with the premise that all of us would like to change. We probably all believe in the idea of personal transformation, becoming better people, getting rid of bad habits. It, we, we believe in all of that. That's the basis of every diet, every budget, every New Year's resolution you ever made. At the same time, isn't it easier said than done? You ever tried to get rid of a bad habit? You ever said, I'm going to do this and never showed up? It's hard to change. When we looked at it, the Bible has a, an explanation for that, especially in the deeper things of our lives. The Bible says that we all sin, that we have a sinful nature that actively thwarts our best efforts to become better people. 
We looked in Romans 7 where Paul talked about this. I mean, this is the Apostle Paul, somebody who was very godly. And he said, in my experience, there's things that I say, I don't want to do that, and I end up doing it anyway. And then there's other things I say, I'm going to do that, and I don't do it. And he says, what's up with that? Well, it's a sinful nature at work in our lives. And we looked at, even in Romans, how the Bible teaches us that there is God's perfect law. It's like, here's how you should live, and you'll have an awesome life. And we, like, know exactly what we should do, and it's not hard. The Ten Commandments are, like, they just, they're common sense. It's like, this is great. But we can't even do that. The Bible teaches us that the sinful nature becomes like a computer virus. It takes God's perfect law, and it uses it against us. And so what we find is the things that are prohibitions, they become a to-do list. Like, oh, if it's off limits, it must be fun. Let's try that. And we find that once you've broken the law, the law doesn't tell you how to get made whole again. You, you're just a lawbreaker. You know, you, you're never going to bat a thousand again. The law can only tell you where you went wrong. So what do we do with that? Well, we flipped over to Romans 8 where Paul says, God's got a solution where we don't. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus does for us what we can't do for ourselves. So we, we talked about three big words last week. Justification. Christ paid the penalty for us. We walk out of the courtroom innocent. There's no condemnation. We talked about regeneration, how God moves us from dead to alive. It's like going to your heart surgeon. He does something for you you can't do for yourself. Your surgeon will not look at you and say, I need you to scrub in and assist with your heart surgery. He's not going to do that. The Holy Spirit of God goes to work in us, changing that sinful nature and removing it. And so he's moving us in regeneration from death to life. You know, it's like God says, clear, you're now spiritually alive. And then we talked about that third word, sanctification. That lifelong process where God is changing us and it starts from the moment you become a Christian and it's not really done until you die or Jesus comes back, whichever comes first. And so we looked at that and we said God does a lot of the heavy lifting in sanctification. But we also realized that we've got a part to play in that and that's what we're going to continue looking in Romans 8 today. If you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. If you've got a smartphone with the Bible app, you can pull up Romans 8.12. Some of these verses will be up on the screen too. And we want to look at the part that, that we play in our change. You know, God does the majority of the work, but we have an, a, a part to play too. And so let's look at that. If you look at verse 12, and if you're taking notes, you can write some of this down as we go along in your worship folder. In verse 12, you see the word therefore, which is the second time in Romans 8 that we've got the word therefore. And it's a tip-off that Paul, who wrote this letter, is shifting from... Uh, instruction to implications. Okay, I've taught you some true things about the world and about your nature. Now let's talk about what we do with this. Therefore, and so let's just go ahead and read this, and this will be verses 12 and 13. Paul said this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, or sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So if you've got a pen, you may want to underline or circle that word obligation. It's okay to write in the Bible, by the way. It's not a sin. You circle that word obligation. Paul says we've got an obligation. And I would say this is probably the first and best way we can uh, participate with the Holy Spirit as he changes us. And that would be to, to honor our debts or our obligations. I don't know if you've had that in your memory bank or if that's something you're experiencing now, that sense of debt, of owing somebody something. Not a real good feeling, is it? You, you open the bill and there's this big red past due notice on there. The phone rings and your immediate reaction is to check caller ID. Don't answer it. It's a bill collector. You know, you swipe the card and it comes back declined. 
you open your wallet or purse and you realize there's more month than money in there? You ever been in that situation where you owe? It, it creates that sense of, I've got an obligation, and whether or not you can meet it, you just feel like this sense of burden. And Paul says, I want you to have that same sense of debt or obligation when it comes to your relationship with God in this sense. Just realize that you owe him something. And it's not something that we owe to our sinful nature. You are no longer obligated or required to obey your sinful impulses. You don't have to give in to that anymore. You have a different obligation now. You have an obligation to God to honor him with your life. And so in this work that God's doing in our our lives, he's going to do the majority of changing us from sinful people to to perfect people. But there's a part that we can play too. We don't just sit back and let God do all the work. It's, you know, this is a joint effort. Sanctification is a joint effort between us and God. And so there's a part that we play. I like how Dallas Willard put it. He's a, he just recently passed away, but he's a philosophy professor out at USC in California. And he said it this way. He said, God is not going to pick us up by the seat of our pants, as it were, and just toss us into kingdom, transform kingdom living into, into holiness. You're like, okay, God, get to work. Change me. It's not like that. We've got a part to play. We have an obligation. He will do a lot of it, but we work with him. And so here's what we do in response to what God's done for us through Christ. We do for other people and for God in response to what he's already doing. So what do we do? We love God and we love each other like God loved us. We forgive one another just as in Christ God forgave us. We accept each other just as in Christ God accepted us. We respond in the same way God treats us. That's our our part. That's our debt, our obligation. We realize that the work of the Holy Spirit in our church is to create unity and peace. And so we work with him and we create unity and we create peace with each other and we work things out when things get sideways with each other because that's important. We put into practice what Paul talked about in Romans 6. Here's what he said, Romans 6, 12, and 13. Don't let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. That's that regeneration. You've been regenerated. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what's right for the glory of God. A couple of observations about that verse and about what we're talking about here. We have an obligation to God. First thing I would just point out, God would not ask us to do something that is not possible with his help. That would be cruel. You're not going to tell a two-year-old, I need you to dunk. Daddy needs you to dunk or I won't love you. It won't work that way because he can't. You wouldn't expect your child to do something he cannot do. God would not tell you don't offer your parts of your body as to sin if that's not possible with his help. Maybe that was the way it was before you met Jesus and became a Christian, but now there's a new power at work in you, and you actually have the power to say no to sin and to change. So do that. And the second thing I would point out here is sometimes we think, well, in heaven it's going to be perfect and it's going to be wonderful. We're all going to treat each other right. Why do we have to wait till heaven to do that? If we know that's how it's going to be, why don't we copy and paste the ways of heaven to here? Start just pretending like we're already there. Start treating each other like we're going to treat each other there. Start acting like we're going to act there. Are we going to goof up? Yes. But we start practicing now the way we're going to be then. And that's what he's talking about. Just start living now. You've got a new life, and it started when you became a Christian. So don't offer yourself to sin as though you have an obligation to sin anymore. You don't. You now have an obligation to God. Live for him. Imagine it this way. So just picture this family of four. There's mom, dad, sister, and brother. 
They live in a house that's, okay, it, it works as a house, but it's seen better days. Like, no one's coming from HGTV to do a photo shoot there. You, you know, kind of picture ones. Like, you go in the kitchen, and the linoleum, first of all, I'm just saying linoleum tells you what kind of house I'm talking about. The linoleum's faded, formica countertops, and avocado appliances. Right? Everything's just an older house. The, uh, the pipes are old, and they kind of rattle when you turn the water on. The floors are scratched up. The walls are marked up. The doors are dinged up. The house has seen better days. Does it keep them warm in the winter and cool in the summer? Yeah. Does it keep the rain off? Yeah. But at the same time, it could use more than just a few cosmetic touch-ups. Okay? Kind of got the idea there. Well, one day, their, uh, their dad, their papa, stops by the house and says, I've got some exciting news. I can't contain myself anymore. I have been planning something for years for you guys, and I'm just about there, so I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. I have been saving up money for years to renovate your house. I figure I'm about four or five years from having all the money I need, and I'm just going to fix your whole house up. How does that sound? They're like, yes. So he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna, first of all, I'm going to like gut the place. We're going to redo the pipes and the roof, and we're going to do just everything. I'm going to go in this kitchen. We're going to renovate. It's going to be granite and new countertops and new cabinets, new floor, the bathrooms, we're going to totally redo them, paint everywhere, new electronics, new appliances, new bedroom, for everything. I'm just going to totally redo. How's that sound? Yeah, that's awesome. So they're just so excited, and they're talking to their papa, their dad about that. And then after he left, um, they're sitting around the dinner table. They're just eating and talking and celebrating. And uh, so they're just kind of thinking about how do we live for the next four years in this house until we get our new house, the renovated house? And the, their teenage son, he speaks up and he goes, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I think we should trash the place. Who cares? We're getting a new house, right? And then dad said, well, I'm going to tell you one thing right now. I am not fixing one more thing if it breaks in this house. It's just going to have to wait till we get the new house. And then their teenage daughter, she's kind of dreamy, she's kind of younger, she's kind of artistic. She's like, I think we should just kind of imagine what it's going to be like. And, and I'll sketch some drawings. And it's just going to be wonderful. We'll just... And so they're just kind of all talking like this, and mom's being kind of quiet. And finally she says, you know what, guys, it's going to be great to get a brand new house. And I'm really excited about that. But even before it gets here, I think we need to live in this house like we're going to live in our new house. She looked at her teenage son, and she said, if we trash this house, all we have learned to do is trash houses. And she looked at her, her daughter, and she said, I think it's going to be wonderful, too. I'm imagining our new house. I'm dreaming about it. But if all we ever do is think about that, we're going to miss out on all the good times in the next four years here in this house. And we're going to forget about all the wonderful things that already happened in this house. And then she looked at her husband. She said, look, I understand why you don't want to fix anything else. I get it. But if we don't fix anything in the next four years, we're going to live with a lot of unnecessary discomfort and misery, and we're going to put up with a lot of frustrations that we really wouldn't have to. So she looked at all of them again. She said, here's what I think we should do from now on. We should pretend like we're living in the new house. We should live now like we're going to live when Papa fixes the house. And God looks at us and he says, you have an obligation. You're obligated to me now. I have forgiven you. I've loved you. I've paid the debt for your sin. I've showed you a new way of life. Live here like you're going to live in the next life. You don't have to wait. It is now possible for you to live that way now. The doors are open, so start doing that. Let's look on verse 14, 15, and 16 here in Romans 8. Paul said this, Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. 
And the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you can live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. Okay, if you, again, have your Bible open, you've got a pen, you can underline those phrases, children of God and, and God's children. Such an important concept here that we're children of God. What Paul is saying here is as a result of everything that God's doing in our life, we get a new intimate relationship with God. And it's a relationship where because of what Christ has done on our behalf, he becomes our father. You know, if you ever get frustrated with your earthly parents, like maybe when, when you think about your life, Maybe you should just be thankful that you didn't have Pat and Sheena Wheaton for parents, especially, I would say, when it came time to name you, unless you just really hate your name. Pat and Sheena, they live in uh, New Zealand, and they were first-time parents, and they were so excited when they realized they are going to have a son. You know what they named their firstborn son? For real. The number four, the word real. Where in the world do you get an idea to name your son for real? Well, again, remember, they're first-time parents. They've found out they're pregnant. They go to their first ultrasound. They're in the room. The, you know, the technician's doing this thing, and they look, and oh. they look at each other, and they say, this is for real. Oh, that would be a great name for our son. Apparently in New Zealand, though, you cannot use a numeral in your name. So they just dropped the four, and they named their son real. That's awesome. He's not going to get beat up in kindergarten, right? which is probably better than the American parents who named, I'm not kidding, named their kid ESPN. I wonder, it's like he have to go around saying trademark after he said, hi, I'm ESPN trademark. <laughs> who names their kid that, right? You ever get frustrated with your earthly parents? Just understand this, when, when you become a Christian, you come to Jesus Christ, you don't have to get a new name. He doesn't change your name, but you do n join a new family, and God becomes your father. He becomes Abba. Interesting thing about Abba, outside of Jesus himself, there's nowhere in the, in the entire Bible that we find anybody calling God Abba except Jesus, and then Paul saying that here. Interesting thing. I'm not sure anyone would have thought to call God Abba or even dared to call him Abba. See, Abba in your Bible is an untranslated Aramaic word. They didn't even bother translating it in English. They just left it like it is. Abba is an Aramaic word. It literally means dad or daddy. That's what it is. You're reading your Bible. You're reading an Aramaic word there, Abba. Uh, sometimes I watch Univision to practice my Spanish, or as they say, Univision. And so I'm a, I watch the news trying to catch what they're saying. I catch like every tenth word, but I'm, I'm working. I'm practicing, right? So, so I'm watching it, and they're all just, you know, Espanol, 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 and they're talking. It's funny when they get to an English word, like an English city, an American city. Be, Espanol, Espanol, Espanol. Cleveland, Ohio. Perfect English accent. Espanol, Espanol. Cleveland, Ohio. Blah, 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 blah. If somebody were to come here today and they didn't speak English at all, they just spoke Aramaic, and they heard me read these verses, here's what they hear. They'd hear English guy going, blah, 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 daddy, blah, 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 blah. That's that word. And Paul says because of the new relationship we have with God, we get to call him dad. You know what this means? Not only do we have an obligation to God, and we need to honor that obligation, but the other thing I would suggest to us is we need to learn to appreciate our adoption. There, there's so much there that, that you can call God, Abba, Dad. If you ever want to understand what kind of a relationship you've got with God, just remember Abba. This is not formal like Sir or Father. It's not disrespectful either like the old man. It's just Dad. 
You ever want to know what kind of relationship you got with God? Just look at any good dad relating to his kids, and you've got a picture of what our relationship with God is like. He's our dad. And everyone who puts their trust in Jesus, who has the spirit of God within them, gets to call him that. And it's not just that we get to call him that. That's the kind of relationship we've got with him. And you might think, well, I don't know, Brian. That just sounds like a big stretch to, I mean, he's God. Are you sure? Because it's just one verse. Let me just show you some other verses in the Bible. I'm not just pulling this out of one verse here. John 1.12 says, To all who did receive Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to be children of God. 2 Corinthians 6.18, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. 1 John 3.1, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. Ephesians 1, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And he wanted to do this, and it gave him great pleasure. I'm not just making this up. This is all through the Bible. It was always God's plan that he would not only save us from our sins, but that he would adopt us into his family as his children. That he would have an enormous family, and that we would all be brothers and sisters, and Jesus would be our brother. And I don't know, maybe you don't have a great relationship with your dad, but you know what God says? I'll be your father. I'll be your dad. I will save you and provide for everything that you need. I will take away your sins. I will teach you a new way to live. I'll be patient with you as you learn and grow. I won't condemn you. I'll, I'll just be your dad, your heavenly dad. I'll be your father. Do you appreciate that? And here's why I asked the question. Because if you appreciate that, you won't take advantage of that. And here's the tension that I've recognized a lot of us are dealing with and struggling with. And it, you, know, you read the scripture and you know what it says, but there's still this, this thought in your mind. Okay, if there's really no condemnation, God is not going to hold us accountable for our sins. It's all forgiven. What's to keep people from just going, hey, I can do whatever I want. And God's going to forgive me. I got a free pass. I just get to live however I want. And God forgives. He's like, he's good at that. So I get to do what I want. And God gets to do what he wants. And it's just a win-win, right? If he's your father, would you treat your dad who loves you and has done everything for you like that? Would you disrespect him like that? This is the counter to that. Can you do that? I guess you could, but why would you? Why would you be so disrespectful to the father who's called you and adopted you? You won't do that. Not when you realize how much you owe God and how much he's paid for you and when you realize that you've been adopted and certainly not when you realize what Paul talks about in this next verse. Verse 17, Paul said, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Again, if you're underlining stuff, might as well go ahead and underline this. Heirs of God. We are heirs of God. See, you do your part and I do my part to work out this change that comes into our lives when we remember our destiny. We are heirs of God. That's our destiny. We are co-heirs with Christ. Interesting little tidbit here. This is the only place in the entire Bible that this expression, heirs of God, is used. Now, there's an expression similar in Galatians, but this is it. You are an heir of God, an inheritance now, usually what happens before you receive an inheritance? Someone dies, right? Did God die? 
Christ did. And now we are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. I remember before my grandma passed away a few years ago, we'd be out to see grandma, Grandma Velma, and she'd always be pulling Kirsten aside, pull me aside, pull the girls aside, and like, when I pass away, I want you to know, I want you to have this. Or she'd say, here, just go ahead and take it now, because I want you to have this. And we're like, Grandma, we want you, not your stuff, right? But she's, no, I, this is like my inheritance to you. I want you to have this. You know what Jesus is? Jesus is the one who died and rose again, and, and God says, everything that I have is yours. You inherit everything. We are co-heirs with Christ. I'm not holding anything back from you. Everything. Listen to 1 Peter 1, 3, and 4. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. You are co-heirs with Christ. You are heirs of God. Every day, remember who you are. You live in your Father's world. This is a good place. There's nowhere that you are separated from him. He's given you everything you need for life and godliness. He walks with you every day, and he will never be away from you. And because you are God's friend and you are part of his family, he's already made plans for your existence through all of eternity. Death means nothing. You're always going to be with him. If you want something to encourage you, just go ahead. We don't even have time. Just go ahead and read the rest of Romans 8 when you get home today. I think Romans 8 is like the finest thing that's ever been written in the English language, in any, any language. I mean, you look at that, what it says. If God's for us, who can be against us? You know, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Who is he who condemns? No one. There's no one who can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's what it says, because we are heirs of God. And this is what we are. And you know what I find so unfortunate? We can't lose, and yet so many times we act like we can. So many times we live so far below our potential, and we just insist, well, I, I just can't change. It's just too hard. I just can't. I've tried, and it's just not working. I'm just never going to be any better than I am right now. And you believe the lie that says it's just impossible for me to change. Maybe other people, but I'm too far gone. And we don't realize that we've already won. Kind of like in this clip. Watch this. This is from Moneyball. Come with me to the video room. I want to show you something. No, man, I'm not for film right now. Come on. Seriously. Come on, Billy. Come on. The Visalia Oaks and our 240-pound catcher, Jeremy Brown, who, as you know, scared to run to second base. This was in the game six weeks ago. This guy's going to start him off with a fastball. Jeremy's going to take him to deep center. Here's what's really interesting. Because Jeremy's going to do what he never does. He's going to go for it. He's going to round first, and he's going to go for it. Okay? This is all of Jeremy's nightmares coming to life. Oh, they're laughing at him. And Jeremy's about to find out why. Jeremy's about to realize that the ball went 60 feet over the fence. He hit a home run and didn't even realize it. 
How can you not be romantic about baseball? It's a metaphor. I know it's a metaphor. Okay. Pete, you're a good egg. I'll call you. So many times we believe the lie that says, I can't change. Satan would love to convince you that you can't. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is working in you if you are a Christian. We didn't hit the home run. Christ did. But all we have to do is run the bases. You can change. In fact, it's, it's your destiny to change when you accept Christ. It's a done deal. It will happen. Will you participate? One last thing i got to make real clear, and there's something you have to understand. All of this is f- true for people who have accepted Christ, who are children of God, but you don't become a child of God by default. It's not something like, I'm a part of the human race, therefore I'm a child of God. This is something that you accept. For all those who believe in Jesus, God gave the right to become sons and daughters of God. So this morning, my encouragement to you would be, if you have not done that, why not? What is it that stands between you and saying yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior? To see the true change start in your life? To say, Jesus is my Lord, he's my leader, he's my Savior, my forgiver of my sins. I'm going to embrace every teaching he ever taught about how to live my life. To, to be baptized into him and to say, I'm all in with Jesus. That's when the change happens. Maybe today is the day that you need to choose that. Maybe today is the day that you just need to repent as a Christian and say, I need to get back to cooperating with what the Holy Spirit's doing in my life. We, every, every Sunday is a time where you can choose to do something with what we teach today. What are you going to do with what you've heard? I invite you to stand right now, and I want to pray for us. Father, um, we know we can't change without you, but we know that through you all things are possible, so we're just asking for your help. I hope we've learned something from your word about what it means to change and how that's possible, but in the end, we're going to count on you. So today, I'm asking you to make this a day where we walk out of here different. I'm asking that you would help us to, to realize that we've been in your presence today as we've sang songs and we have heard your word and as we've been together with, with other Christians and other people. Help us to just move forward. Thank you for all you're doing among us, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen.